Something I've noticed about coffees that lack inner bean development, whenever you're talking about extracting them, let's just say that you are brewing them on espresso and you're trying to dial it in. You may be extracting it perfectly, but the reality is the coffee just tastes bad. Welcome back to the Coffee Sometimes podcast. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Give us a ayo if you're excited <laughs> for today's episode. Ayo. Boom, boom, boom. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. We've got a great episode lined up. We're about to drink some coffee from none other than the Stag XF. <laughs> Thank and, you, Stag. Then we're going to dive in on Chapter 16 of Unreasonable Hospitality. Shorty but a goodie. Oh, come on. Yeah. Uh, we're Very getting enough. close to the, the end of this book. Zoom, zoom. And then we're going to wrap it up by a piercing topic. <laughs> piercing. <laughs> Uh, you know, we're, we might tread lightly, we might not, on why we think a lot of roasters underdevelop their coffees. Yeah. It happens. Why does it happen? How can it not happen? Have and why we ever do people it? think it's okay? Have we ever? Have what we? What does it even mean to underdevelop your coffee? Yeah. Yeah. What is development? Oh, stay tuned. Wow. We'll discuss. But in the meantime, why don't you go ahead and pop down below this video, like it, subscribe to our channel. And if you are listening, Follow the podcast, review it, send it to your friends. We mean it when we say it. The only way for us to grow is for you to share this on social media. So go ahead and throw it up on your Instagram story. Your make a thread about it. Oh, yeah, wow. make an X post it about it. X. You can X about it. Yeah, go ahead and X about it. Uh, you know, Mastodon. You ever heard of that? I don't want to know. That about sounds Mastodon. wrong. I don't know what it is either. I've just heard people say. Sounds it. vile. Good but night, nurse. Po- point being. Share it with your friends. We never got a video of someone yelling it on the streets. So. Well, uh, yeah, I wasn't going to bring it up just because, you know, I think we're we're a little disappointed today. Yeah. It's coming in a little more somber Yeah, we didn't get that True. awesome video. There's still time. But leaders lead by example. So we could listen to our own podcast and yell out the window that we're listening to our own voices and talk with our voices while we do it. That is <laughs> that is meta. Yeah. Remember how meta was a word? People and now said, it's an entity. But now it's like it means something completely different. It means yeah. Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. It does. Ross, you're going to brew up some coffee. Am I? Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, you want to tell them about the thing we have going on with this whole coffee thing that we're going to start next week? Coffee thing that we're going to start next week. Yeah, like how people can send us coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We mentioned it on the last episode, I believe. but We uh, had several people. Oh, reach out. Awesome. A multitude. None of the coffee sh- has shown up yet. But okay. Well, starting um, next week. Next week, if that coffee comes in, I suppose, we are going to be accepting coffees from different roasters. Uh, it could either be your roastery that you own or manage, or it could just be coffee from your favorite roaster that you're like, this is, this is the best coffee I've had. Or your least favorite roaster. Or you could think it's trash and we'll drink it because, hey, we're, we need caffeine. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But we're, we're going to review it. Instead of uh, instead of only brewing our coffee on the program, we thought it would be fun to extend that reach to the whole industry. But the disclaimer is that we are going to tell you our honest thoughts. Mm. So Watch no hard out. feelings. Just three coffee pros raw takes on pat on you know the coffee and its development or lack thereof. Um, but yeah, you can uh, you can DM us on Instagram, Coffee Sometimes Pod, 
uh, to get the address to send the coffee to, and we'll get a brewing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, without further I'm gonna, ado, I'm going to go ahead and start this. Co- this what coffee. a what a reach! I, I took the road less traveled. Hey, was the regretted it? Was the kettle working all right for you? Uh, no, it never does. Ooh, I wouldn't. I just want to air that grievance and see if anybody out there in the ether or Riley knows what's going on with the fellow kettle. Whereas in you start it and it usually works, like gets you up to temp and then it will not hold. Oh, I think I may have just got it. I think there might be a setting where you can have it on set and then hold and set would just get you to the temperature, <laughs> and then it would go down. I just flipped the switch on the back, and that was the problem. I just want to issue a public apology to fellow uh, for my almost criticism. But fellow's uh, competitors are going to clip up that part of it before <laughs> we learned how to use their own product. I'm glad, isn't that is something too? You start talking about. <laughs> I gave, the the <laughs> oh. I gave you the funnel, man. I gave you the funnel. I'm going to have to start taking over your duties. Speaking of coffee professionals, I always mess up the pour over every time we do this. <laughs> and don't pour water until you pour out the... I know. Okay. I know that part. It's because I only have one extra cup. What were you saying? What I had been saying was that there's a certain power in... <laughs> Everybody chill out. I'm fine. I'm chill. In bringing up uh, problems, and sometimes just through external process, you solve it. The, the first rubber lesson. duck method. What? Say, no, I've say. said this to you guys oh, probably on. on the program before. We'll say it again. Web, sorry, web, web slash MD. software developers. Oh, I remember this. Have a method they call the rubber duck method, where I think it arose by they would keep physical rubber ducks on their desk. And when they had a problem with their code, they would talk to the rubber duck about the problem, and then they would figure it out by talking to something. Wow! You could talk to anything. You could talk. You could talk to anything. You see this coaster? Let me sell you something. Uh, you did forty grams. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Can I ask you guys something, a la rubber ducks? <laughs> yes. Um. Yes, I I've, own a rubber duck. I have noticed certain uh, cars driving down the highway and typically Jeeps and they always have rubber ducks in the front of like on their dash. Have you guys ever seen this? Yes. Yes. Do you know why that is? I don't, but I know it's a thing. I think it's just a collectible item. Uh, But it's specifically in the Jeep community. Right. They're on the forums being like, guys, let's put rubber ducks on our dashes. Well, I went to Cincinnati with my family, and we were at a restaurant that had nothing to do with rubber ducks, but one of their shticks was they had a plethora of different styled rubber ducks, and you get one at the end of your meal, like a collectible. Yeah. I think it's just kind of a, a new collectible. How that community overlaps with the Jeep community? Complete coincidence? I think not. <laughs> I think... Everyone that owns a Jeep goes to that diner yeah. in Cincinnati. I was thinking the same thing. Um, today I'm undisclosed. I'm disclosing? Wait. 
You're disclosing? I'm keeping it undisclosed. You're drunk? <laughs> it's 9 a.m. Uh, on what coffee we're drinking, because I want these guys to guess which one of our coffees. You always try to do, do this. You always want to make me look stupid on air. And it, you, is it really fresh? Unfortunately, since we roast on Mondays, it's probably one day off roast. <laughs> okay. So just, Yum. just guessing. A little we bit. do that every week. No, we don't. No, we don't. Besides the Gardelli. We don't do that every week. There's almost always older coffee over here, and I grab from it if I ever prepare it. When do you prepare the coffee? You don't know anything. Guys, what's going on in your world? Mm, man, I have been enjoying my kids. Hey, two weeks in a row. Did I say that last week? Well, you already said rest. It was like not, family time. You're, you know, running your life. Your your life not running you. Yeah, I well, I listened to the podcast. You did yeah. well. I think I'm just reaping the the fruit of that. You know, like life was slowing down, and it slowed down for like a week, and I'm better for it. There you go. Yeah. And I got to go to the most crazy rager of a birthday party over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jude. I don't know if you want me to say his name on air. Uh, Riley's one-year-old, he turned one, and That's we had right. a pool party. Yeah, it was a pool party. You you got into the pool. You I were sure one of the did. few adults, I think, right? I didn't know that it was like people weren't getting in the pool. But. I didn't know it was going to be that way either. I just know that Jude does not love the pool that much, mm. so I didn't even try. Wow. And said, me and Ethan played Gan Jam. Yeah, which I How missed. are your hands holding up? They always heal like the next day. It's just the day of, it's it's pain. Your brother-in-law was a beast on the jam. I don't know where that came from. I'm not, Daniel, if you're listening, I'm we not know saying. you are, Daniel. I'm not saying you aren't usually okay, but it was he was playing lights out. He was dropping dimes. Let's be real, we all were. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a lot of hits. That's what I'm saying. The distance was very shallow. That's true. The, but... it, was, it was more shallow than usual, for sure, because of the cars. Hey, it was really nice, though, uh, to go up to that area where you're from because I used to visit that area a lot as a kid. And I got to take my son to uh, just see some some old stomping grounds. There's a really nice barbecue place that we went to afterwards, mm. Amos Barbecue. Got myself a pulled pork sandwich. Not sponsored. Not sponsored <laughs> yet. I'm in cahoots with Amos. Uh Oh, <laughs> oh gosh! Ross, Ross. Is, Ross is doing some taking some creative liberty competition uh, strategies. He read. Yeah. He has been reading "Creative Act" by Rick Rubin, and like that taught him to like go against the beaten. Path. Just go out, go outside the box, man. Let yeah. me be real with you guys. That's the worst book I've ever read. Really? I I listened to it. What do you guys think about the stigma of people saying they read a book when they actually listen to it? Do you care? Do you agree? I like when people say they listen to it. Mm. I don't think it discredits. I think it's a different experience. Yeah. You definitely retain a lot less, I would say. I think that's subjective, Riley. Okay. I, I th- well, I think. I, well. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's up to how you, how, wh- what your life is structured as, you know, if you don't, if you don't make time to read the book. Make and time. You, and you only uh, listen and you consume content in an effective way when you listen then that's okay and that happens to be how i do things so and that's okay that's awesome 
Yeah. Ross. You listened to Unreasonable Hospitality, yeah? Yeah. Is Will reading it? I think so, mm. yeah. If it ever doesn't sound like a really old dude with a narrator voice, I think it's usually the author. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I want to crack into that uh, that game. That market? You got the the equipment? You got an incredible voice. Is this thing on? <laughs> Thank you. So you much. face for radio, too. Hey, guys, <laughs> speaking of... Hey! <laughs> what? You said I have a face for radio. <laughs> Dude, Dude, I'm going to kick good. your butt come out in the parking lot after this. Bring it. Come one, come all to see the showdown of the millennia. Uh, hey, speaking of books, can we just talk about chapter 16, guys? Yeah. I'm dying, too. And I'm dying to get a cuppa in my hands, if you know what I mean. Cuppa. A cuppa. This uh, was a really short chapter. It was a short chapter. It was, again, I keep saying things are my favorite and everything's awesome, blah, blah, blah. Um, but this was one of my favorites. Uh, I it's potent. I loved the title of uh, Earning Informality. Earning Informality. Yeah. And it just really made me think about our company and... Uh, where we've been, where we're going. Man, you, you brewed a lot of coffee there, Ethan. Um, He's sleepy. Seven ounces of pop. I thought it'd be good. Yeah, it's great. Because sometimes we brew drip coffee and do the pour over. That puts me in a tizzy. So, Earning informality. They're talking about how uh, in their, their own version of fine dining, they wanted to remove the stuffy and highly formal and lack of human connection side of fine dining and bring an, a very excellent product and ex- excellent experience, experience along with uh, the informality of a human touch. Um, and I was like, wait, that's what we're trying to do. And he kept talking about how like we have the excellence down and we, we're – we need to infuse more informality. And Ethan, you and I were talking about that this week, buddy, <gasps> about how um, even down to how we hire or uh, how we communicate to our team or what we emphasize to people, how much do we emphasize uh, our staff making personal connections with people versus how much do we emphasize excellence and precision and passion for the product? Um and it seems like they like we're we're coming from the side of we've got the the personal connection and yeah. informality and authenticity pretty down. We can always grow in it, but we do emphasize that a lot, and we hire for that. Um, and we're we're moving towards the excellence and the precision, but they're coming from the other side, mm-hmm. um, and just got me thinking about that even more um, and how it's 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 an interesting thing to tell someone to care about something. That's kind of a, a difficult thing to do. I don't even know if it's possible, really, mm-hmm. um, because your passions are your passions. Um, but it's, when you're when you're talking about, hey, in order to work here, you have to have this passion. Like, how do you even introduce that? How does that even happen? Um, yeah, let alone trying to get that out of an interview process where the person is pretty much willing to 
say anything to get the job because they're really yeah. excited about this opportunity. And there's probably a pretty gray line between like real passion and feigned or like fabricated passion because you're genuinely excited mm-hmm. for an opportunity. So, yeah, that's real. I thought it was really interesting when he was talking about looking at the two different groups of servers at a restaurant he was working at, the Tribeca Grill. And um, one group of servers was like the most efficient and like ahead of the game, like yeah. getting the check out perfectly, getting the next bottle of wine prepped before they even ask for it. Probably doing a really awesome job, but they were uh, second in ranks of like tips, which I guess in this situation he's equating tips to experience because that's kind of how a lot of people express their experience. Yeah. Uh, and there was another group of people that were going slower, but were spending a lot more time at the tables, like connecting. And it's interesting to read that from a business owner's perspective because mm-hmm. you're like, well, both of those things sound good, you know? Like if if we're not flipping tables, then that's not empathetic to the people that either have reservations or are waiting to get in. But if we're also just trying to treat this whole thing like a machine and not looking at people for who they are and valuing that connection, they're not even going to come back. And that's not even like what we're about. Yeah. I was like, whoa, this is very uh, apt. It's fun how the the two, like, uh, the two poles, I guess, for their whole experience has been like, uh, excellence and hospitality. Yeah. And that's very, very spot on with where we are as a company. Yeah. Yeah. And with, we're thinking about hiring a lot right now because we are hiring for our, our cafes. Uh, it's, it, I think it's pretty unreasonable uh, and unrealistic to think that we will only hire people who are the perfect blend of excellence and empathy in our words you're going to have people that are leaning towards one side um and so there's going to be some degree of challenging them and and pressing them towards the other side while maintaining the side that they're good at or that comes naturally to them um but i guess it comes down to having the right mix of people from a diversity perspective of you know you have this person who's more focused on excellence and this person that's more focused on empathy uh and so you get a more balanced experience a body with many parts um but i it it can be so easy to get lost in the weeds with that stuff yeah because even if you look at this example it's like if you go to that restaurant you're you could have the potential of getting two different very different experiences yeah based on who's your server Mm -hmm. so pretty clutch on the like leadership or the company to set the standard and try to steer both groups towards a healthy middle. Yeah. Seems like a kind of, I mean, theme of the book is making things work better whenever you could step back in a lot of ways. Uh, Kind of the conversation last week about going on defense versus offense. Hmm. They got put in kind of a bad situation where once they hit four stars, the guest expectation completely changed. Mm -hmm. And that sucks for them 
because they have to then change their presentation, which was kind of going to go into a direction that they didn't like. And, you know, you see that, I think, how, how, how can you not lose the magic? And we, people talk about that a lot with businesses growing and franchising and so on and so forth. But I think that I, I read ahead. Okay, I'm going to be real. Come oh, my on. gosh. And I won't talk about it too much, but that's where the next chapter <laughs> next week <laughs> really comes in clutch. It's how to press in and you know make things even better when faced with these situations that could be daunting. Mm. Just a quick shout out to uh, last week's chapter about overcoming adversity. Uh, I think the last sentence of the last chapter before this one was something like uh, we came out on the other side of the recession. Like we weren't limping. We were stronger than we'd ever been. Mm. Whoa. And that that's just so awesome. And that definitely reminds me of uh, the whole process in years of COVID. Like we totally came out stronger. Um, not only just numerically and uh, objectively, but also uh, qualitatively. Biologically. From a qualitative standpoint. Hey, biologically, we are stronger. Like than- how? Like you are your immune system. Oh <laughs> no! Like you guys are both stronger. Yeah. Than where you were. That is true. So, just stronger in every way. Um, and so next time an adversity comes like that again, I, I'm gonna remember that. I'm gonna remember that if we if we attack this thing the right way, we will be stronger on the other side of it than if this adversity never happened. What do you say we put our heads together? We write a book called The Power of Positive Perspective. Wow. Take that thing global, baby. That sounds like an original thought. Can you think of the money that I, we'd make? I could. Just you think about it, Ross. Yeah, think about the money. Maybe we can create some adversity for our company. Maybe we can just like restrict the amount of money that goes around or yes. lower the pay or something. Yeah. And then get stronger. There you go. That's genius. Okay. Well, I'm glad we're learning something from this book, you know? Putting Putting our minds at play. Someone's going to cut that reel right there. Yeah, we're talking about a lot of splicing today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it can happen. Hey, I mean, they don't have to splice. They got the AI stuff where you can just just make us say whatever we want. That's true. That's true. And I was talking to Zion about this recently. (laughs) With with us specifically, there is a large bank that that AI can learn from, from all these podcasts. Oh, freaking crap. To where it would sound... Pretty legit. Pretty dialed. Yeah. I wonder okay. I wonder if they could uh they meeting AI <laughs> plural uh could mimic our, our singing because sometimes we sing on the program. You know? Well that gets copy striked, so that's true. That's true. We got some exciting things on the horizon of the Coffee Sometimes podcast, isn't that right, boys? That is true. I I really am excited. Um they're maybe not gonna disclose all the details right now. Uh, keep you guessing, but um, there's going to be some big changes, big moves. Uh, just it's, everything's going to get bigger, <laughs> bigger microphones. Going to be huge. Us bigger, yeah. like you know we were talking about earlier. I'm gonna start going to the gym. Bigger tables, bigger cups of coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but really, we're we're excited. We're we're uh, 
don't just think that this podcast is on the back burner for us. You know, we really are putting a lot of thought into it. Um, it may not seem like it, but uh, <laughs> a lot of thought into it. Uh, we're continuing to innovate it and grow it. And uh, so whenever it, I know it's funny to constantly ask for uh, subscribers and comments, but whenever you do that, it helps us continue to make these improvements um, and keep delivering that piping hot content mm. to your speakers and headphones. Piping hot content, piping hot coffee. That's right. Our coffee, coffee sometimes. Yeah, if you want to give us some feedback, you know, what do you like about the program? Some people really love the small talk. Some people skip the small talk. Yep. Some people only want to hear us talk about anaerobic naturals. All right? We want to know these things. If you don't want to comment it and let it be in the public because you don't want to roast us, live and it just be out there send us an email to info at valor.coffee and tell us what you like about the program because we want to give you what you want you can also roast us live we'll be all right yeah. it'll be fine True. um can i just say really quick i was going through our instagram feed yesterday because i was trying to compile some videos to send to a customer and uh oh. i looked at all of the reels that we've done over the years have you guys looked at those recently relatively yeah like we we just did the most outlandish stuff like the the power bar skit with sam thomas oh that was good oh, yeah uh the black friday promo video it's just the like deals video yeah yeah it, it it's just deals. it's <laughs> hilarious the matcha madness one with mikey yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. My three-year-old and I were just laughing mm. at these videos. She That's funny. Them. That's awesome. Got to press into that again. Yeah. It's fun. We're kind of hilarious. And we have a... Yeah. Well, that's a joke. But what's real is we have a hilarious group of people around us, too. That's true. Mm -hmm. That that's is true. funny. Um, hey, I just... I, I can't... I don't, I don't know what this coffee oh, is. Oh, right. It tastes kind of... Ethiopian. I was gonna say something African, so I'm I'm just gonna say Kenya. Kenya test batch again. Well, it's just the Kenya. Ross, hey go. man, I doors over there. I taste me the, and Riley are just gonna finish this. You guys wrap it I up. Taste the, I taste I I taste the dirt. Yeah, the Kenya dirt. The the pleasant dirt, you know. Yes. Earthiness, if you will. What? How would you guys describe the the effect of a drinking coffee a day off roast like does that's it, a good question actually because it doesn't taste like it will taste in one week nay two weeks i think it tastes i don't know how to describe it other than like what would you expect a coffee that just got roasted to taste like i think a lot of people would expect that to taste incredibly fresh like the and best good. it's gonna be I think it tastes like what the roaster smells like when it's roasting. Yeah, the word that comes to mind for me is gassy. Yeah. But to uh, taste gassy? Right. Well, I, I, I guess uh, if people were to uh, think about what gas tastes like, I mean, natural gas from your stove is gassy. It kind of tastes like that a little bit. There's like this. I'd say carbony is what kind of comes to mind. Yeah, popcorn. Yeah, well, obviously the concept, the misconception is that uh, the fresher the better. Um, 
and you might think that especially all of the the sort of the trebly notes you know i'm a musician guys uh the more uh, high acidity uh sort of more delicate notes would be more present the fresher it is but it's it's the opposite it i think those are really tamed in the beginning and then they sort of come out day five or so and um you would expect it to be the opposite but it's not Mm. you know what's been tasting real good lately what free throw yeah yeah if you people out there need an amazing espresso that is always going to be the same in a good way and going to be amazing in milk and amazing served up as just a spro like who doesn't like free throw i don't know i think there's been some people who like wholesale partners that whenever i give them workers comp versus free throw workers comp is our our darker roast Mm -hmm. they just end up they taste both of them and they say that free throw if, if they're not used to tasting coffee like like i'll have people that come in for for wholesale partnerships and they just want to start a coffee shop but they don't even like coffee or they only drink you know french vanilla creamers in their coffee which nothing wrong with that but um just to give you an idea of, of where their background is in coffee uh i give them workers comp i give them free throw and they're like free throw tastes sour and they're like, I'm going to go with the dark roast because mm-hmm. there's just less perceived acidity. So mm-hmm. to answer your question, I think those people don't always like free throw. It's always interesting, though, when you stack it up against different coffees, how it shines differently. Because we'll have it on the cupping table like every week against all of our coffees. And it definitely falls in the more like normal, easy drinking category yeah when it's next to like the Kenyan and the washed Ethiopian and the anaerobic we're trying out. But it is true when you do a wholesale tasting with someone who's in more in that market, you know, you offer them like, here's our decaf. Here's our, uh, coffee on cold brew. Here's our dark roast and here's free throw. That one kind of free throw can kind of pop out. Yeah. It's like the fruity one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we both started doing this thing. I've only done one time where you like, if we're doing a tasting like that, we'll add other freaky coffees yeah. just to show the full spectrum a little bit more. Yep. Like put our summer blend tan lines on there or yeah, washed Ethiopian. But uh, it is funny. I think free throw our, and that's kind of our goal is to have it meet the needs of multiple people. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's a little too in your face for some, but put that thing on Spro. That's a no problemo Spro right there. Mm. Yeah. I, I would venture to say a lot of people with specialty coffee shops who put free throw on might just uh, love it so much they want to switch their anchor to free throw. Maybe so. Hey, and I'm going to say this. Say it. If you switch to free throw and try it for a month and you don't love it, we'll give you your money back. Woo! So... Email us at wholesale at valor.coffee if you want to try out free throw as your new anchor espresso. Riley's wow. giving away our money here. It's like the Fox Sports giving, yeah, giving away, away Terry's, Terry's money. <laughs> giving away Ross's money. That's funny. We're going to get a golden briefcase for you to hold and be like, <laughs> oh, my commission. That's Except funny. that I make commission. Uh, he, l- let me ask you guys this. So when wholesale 
people that are interested in, in working with us in a wholesale capacity, they, at, they request samples. I always ask them, you know, what are you looking for? Because uh, I don't just want to send them all the coffee if, if they one like th- there's just a there's a huge uh, diverse range of of people that uh, ask for samples. You've got people who don't have a grinder and they they like need it pre ground to brew in their Mister Coffee machine at home before they open the cafe, mm-hmm. and you've got people who are going to set up a, a you know a SCA certified cupping mm-hmm. you know with with five bowls you know of, mm-hmm. of each offering um and so I, al- I always try to gauge where that person is at but let's just say like the whoever's in the middle let's say like just just go back to when we were starting a coffee cart you know and we had the gs3 in my kitchen and what grinder did we have at that time k30 mm-hmm. malcon and k30 and then we had a Baratza Encore and probably a Chemex, right? Was that what we were into at the time or was it V60? It was Chemex. We loved Chemex. Unfortunately. Um, so we had those things. I don't think we had ever really done a cupping at that point. We had done like, you know, attended. Gone to. Attended. It wasn't a, a – we do cuppings all the time here, so it definitely wasn't like that. So pretend that you are – us back then seven years ago requesting samples from us now um dude this is a sci-fi movie (laughs) tell me this like what what coffees are you going to request if you went on our website what coffees would you not request um and then how would you brew them on our equipment like you get coffee and you're like okay let's taste it yeah well it's funny like the the roaster is sending out like like when I send out samples, I'm like I am fully confident in this coffee that we roasted it exactly as it needs to, just because we put so much time and, and effort into quality control. But then I send it out to people to make it on their gear. I don't know what their gear is. I don't know what their water situation is. And I'm like, man, I hope they brew it well, because mm. if they don't, then it's just kind of my fault because they're gonna view that cup of coffee that they're tasting as what our coffee tastes like. Mm, so, dude. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's why we... Hmm. And that's the thing, because you could say, okay, let us do another step and send them a way to brew it and brew it perfectly. Like if we sent them a gallon of distilled water and like a packet of third wave water, and we were like, hey, shout out third wave water. They bought some tan lines last week and nice. gave us a shout out on Instagram. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, TWW. And they, so we like send them that. And then we also send them some sort of like disposable brewer. And we're like, brew this coffee like this. If you want to taste how we brew it. Yeah. Or just like a cupping bowl. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, that's all an interesting conversation, but to answer your question of if, if I was going back and I was us ordering from us or from a coffee company with our coffees, I think we were getting into blends and like, you know, I'll, largely through Cat and Cloud, we understood why blends were good. Yeah. That's probably just a conversation for a different time. But so I would probably order free throw. Um, I don't know if I would order workers comp. I wouldn't. I think I'd be like dark roast pass. Yeah. I wouldn't order miracle. Yeah. I would order decaf. Same. 
And then I would probably ask for every other coffee. Yeah. Have, which would be Guatemala Finca Medina soon, like on Thursday. Oh, nice. Washed. Washed. Yeah. Dang. How about we, that? We, what? Green box. So nice okay. and chocolatey, okay. sweet. Uh, Ethiopia Worka Sakaro Anaerobic Natural, which is our fruity coffee. Ethiopia Torre, which is our washed coffee. That'd probably be the one I was most excited about. Yeah. Kenya Nairi Hill Estate, which is what we're drinking right now. Uh, washed. Kenya Profile, kind of what you'd expect. Sweet, earthy, good. Uh, we don't have this one anymore, but it's still on our current offerings. Our Black Box, Columbia La Ventolera, Felipe Trujillo, Kombucha Process, because who wouldn't want to order that coffee? And Especially then, with a free sample. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And then Tan, I, I would probably be a little weary about the seasonal blends, honestly, I'll just looking the at them. Thing. But it's funny because that's what everyone is. So, uh, we got sent some coffee by my friend Sawyer from Chrome Yellow. We did a like a like a roast swap, and he picked. I think he picked Ethiopia Torre, and I was like, I'm also going to send you tan lines. And then he got tan lines, and he was like, This coffee's freaking nuts. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny. Like, I could see that. I think that they might fly a little under the radar, and they're also expensive because we give a dollar from each to charity. But yeah, yeah. If you. Uh, what would you guys prescribe that uh, people who are trying free throw on their espresso machines, what, what would you prescribe uh, a good recipe for, for that coffee? That's the great thing about it, man. It's good no matter how you pull it, I would say. Um, and I think you guys might agree with that. It's just, it, it changes so much over the course of different ratios and times. So, uh, I would probably weigh out their situation and how they're going to be using it. I mean, obviously with us, I would say something in the range of like 17 and a half to 40 to 45 out. 17 and a half in 40 to 45 grams out in 25 to 29 seconds. It's kind of where we rock it. Um, but I've also had shots that were 17 or 18 to 32 yeah. in 26 seconds and sweet shot pretty good yeah i mean as long as you're at 26 <laughs> yeah oh that's funny and then for uh, uh here, here's one funny thing on the on the idea of sending people <laughs> cupping bowls and telling them hell even pre-ground Ross. coffee i know that's that's crazy thought but if we're talking about how to ensure that people taste this coffee how we want them to it's just interesting thought i remember when we got when we first started working with uh cat and cloud their flagship blend the answer we uh we cupped that coffee against some of their other offerings and it was our least favorite one on the cupping table you remember this mm -hmm. and it and it continued to be throughout the years or the whatever long we worked with them um but on espresso and on drip it was probably our favorite coffee that they ever sent us and i feel the same way about free throw sometimes where when we cup free throw it isn't always you it's it's interesting because cupping is supposed to be like the coffee in its purest form and exactly you're it's supposed to represent exactly how the coffee tastes but uh free throw on espresso and drip to me is better than it is on the cupping table mm. i don't know why that is but mm. That, should, that could just be something of note for people trying our coffee. 
um, that sometimes like most of the time cupping is the best way to taste coffee and evaluate coffee. Uh, but if you're talking about uh, how to translate that taste for a bar context, sometimes you just need to like get it on the espresso machine. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great segue into our conversation. Uh, I know taste is subjective. Okay. Yeah. Right. You. Would you guys agree? I mean, mostly. Maybe mostly. Yeah. But there are some things that remain true with coffee and all roast styles. Uh, do any of those stick out to you guys right out right off the bat? Like things that everybody likes uh, or uh, dislikes? Maybe that, but also just like objective truths of what makes a coffee taste bad. How about that? Mm. I think people talk about coffee being baked. Mm. Uh Maybe you can give any more clarity to what that means as far as the actual roast curve, but basically when it it kind of bottoms out during the roast and it comes out tasting very flat, yeah, and uh, bread cardboardy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll definitely dive in on baked coffees in this conversation, I think. But uh, I agree; I get a big, strong cardboard note myself on baked coffees are we talking specialty coffee here like specialty coffee drinkers yes i mean specialty coffee drinkers but just you know with us specifically like what makes a coffee taste bad bad yeah Yeah. well if we're talking about like people that drink specialty coffee and have a little bit more of an experienced palate uh i would say a coffee that is um highly acidic and then under the acidity title, you have two sub points. One is the acidity tastes ripe, and one of them the acidity tastes green or underripe. So, like the difference between biting into a super green underripe blueberry versus the difference between biting into a ripe sugary blueberry that's nice and you know purpley. I think I would assess acidity in those two ways. And whenever the acidity leans too far towards the underripe side, I think nobody would like that because it's this like, I mean, when you, when you bite into a fruit like that, it's, it's, it's very tart. It's dry. It's, uh, it kind of gives you that cotton mouth feeling after you swallow it. Um, and it completely lacks sweetness. I would say that's another one. When a coffee has no sweetness, then, uh, it's it's not going to be it's not going to score well. Mm. Yeah, another one I think is a little more simple, and most people who drink specialty coffee would agree. Over roasted coffee, you know, it mm-hmm. tastes ashy, and as you roast a coffee darker and darker, what's happening is certain chemical compounds start to become more prevalent. And, you know, on uh, kind of like rise on a curve as far as like their taste within the product. So you want to stop roasting before those take control. Like even caffeine, caffeine is a bitter element. And as you roast a coffee, like those elements and the, the taste definitely becomes more prevalent. Same with like carbon. That's why I kind of described carbony. Like uh, if you roast a coffee too dark, those carbon notes are going to rise up and taste bitter and ashy and smoky and gross. Yeah. To, to Ethan's point, I would say another thing that nobody likes is to use a very basic term, uh, coffee that's weak or watery, mm. where it's not even really like nuanced and subtle. It's moved below that into 
just there's nothing going on. And I think that is part of what you mean by baked, but uh, there's no, there's not even any roastiness to it. There's no acidity to it. There's no sweetness. It's just sort of hollow and watery. I think nobody would like that. You think that's more of a, a brew defect? Well, I'm just thinking purely on the cupping table. Mm. Okay. Um, I've tasted coffees like that, especially I know that central and South American coffees are more uh, nuanced and subtle at times, especially when they're not roasted uh, to, to have more developed flavor and for a darker roast. But sometimes I, I'm just like, dude, there's nothing going on here. Right. Yeah. So a couple quick points about roasting. And I think you boys would agree. In most cases, when you're working with quality, well-grown specialty coffee, this is true. The shorter you roast a coffee, the more acidic the coffee is. The longer you roast a coffee, the sweeter the coffee is up to a certain point. And then things start to get crazy. And that's perceived acidity. <sighs> or is it actual acidity? I mean, it's actual acidity. Because the more you roast a coffee, again, it's all about how the compounds react to the heat and the chemical reactions that they're going through. So I wouldn't even call it perceived acidity. I think a lot of perception... I think the most the most common perception when drinking coffee is that acidic coffees are sweet. Do mm. you guys agree? What do you mean by that? When people drink a naturally processed, extremely acidic coffee, roasted really light, brewed as a 1 to 17 ratio, mm-hmm. I think it is common for people to taste that coffee and taste the fermenty, acidic Freediness. side of things and say, this coffee is really sweet. Yeah. I think that would just be because uh, when you talk about sweetness, fruity sweetness is the easiest to pick up, as mm. opposed to like chocolatey sweetness or mm. nutty sweetness. Yeah. Those are more subtle. Anyway, so on those roast levels, perception or not, <laughs> uh, how we balance those qualities is a part of the art of roasting, the creative act. Go there. Uh, so some roasters prefer to purchase like naturally acidic coffees and then roast to highlight the acidity. Yeah. Other roasters might want to purchase the opposite, you know, naturally like sweeter coffees that where they want to highlight like a chocolatey or nutty note and then highlight that. And then some other roasters might purchase an acidic coffee and then roast to highlight the sweeter side of things to balance things out. And that's all really interesting. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? The interplay between sourcing and roasting. Yeah. There's a lot of different levers you can pull to get what you want. And that's where, as green coffee purchasers, you have to think beyond... Because a lot of times you sample roast to really highlight the green coffee itself. But even when we are cupping sample roast, we have to think beyond just the sample roast. Yeah. And think about a, how we're going to impart flavor into this coffee mm-hmm. through our roaster. Yeah. Mm. Which kind of goes against maybe a, a a mantra of specialty coffee, which is specialty coffee highlights the flavors within the coffee. Point blank. It's like whatever that is supposed to taste like is what we're going to roast. Yeah. 
versus like 20 years ago, it was 100% about what you did with the roast, light roast, medium roast, dark roast. Yeah. Um, and then now you're saying that there's roasters that assess the inherent flavors of the coffee and want to use the roaster as a an aid and a tool to highlight and balance out what's going on. Mm. Is that what you're saying? I would say that. I would say we have roasted that way in the past and in a lot of ways still do. Yeah, it's always interesting on the cupping table with our roaster, Sam, he'll be tasting it and he's like, yeah, I think I can get a little bit more of this out of the cup. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Have fun with that. I don't know how I'm going to do that, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. I bet we can get into some of that. Yeah, I bet we can. Uh what do you, how did we come to the realization of this statement that we're making and what is underdeveloped coffee? Mm. Well, I think it, it comes from the false, uh, the false idea that in order to taste the green bean in its truest form, you have to roast it really light. Mm. And, uh, when you do that, there are flavors that come out that actually take away from what the the true bean tastes like. Um, and I think just on, on a more visual level, when you look at a bag of specialty coffee, I think there's a certain expectation for it to look a certain way in your hands because we're used to you know swinging swinging from the the other side of like looking at coffee and it being oily and black and you know it leaves a mark on your hand swinging all the way to the other side of of having a an heirloom Ethiopian that looks beautiful but it's like tan and not like brown like it's supposed to be um so I think there's something that looks cool about that um so, yeah, I, I think that's how I would define at least my how I've tasted under-roasted coffees. Mm. I specifically link it to inner bean development huh. uh, in that maybe even the color, the exterior looks proper, but I feel like there's times where roasting gets like super technical and confusing and above my head, and then there's other times where it's like, I mean, you're just heating something up. Yeah. And you're just trying to like do a good job at heating it Cooking up. Cooking it. And so when I think about putting something in the oven, similarly, you want to heat the exterior and cook the exterior as well as the interior. And we mustn't forget about the interior of the coffee bean, Riley. Uh, I'm sorry? So I think a lot of people either maybe could run hot on their roasters and they're doing some scorching and tipping um, What's that? Score. I don't know what tipping is. You're gonna have to tell me it's what that. It's just the same crap. Okay. Dude. Okay. Let's not get into all of it. But well, a couple things. Can you even scorch on the Loring because it's convection? It's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to do it. But I was just about to bring that up. Yeah. Which is awesome. Which is great. So you know, because you want your roaster as hot as it can be without doing these negative things. But scorching is when you start to 
scorch, literally think just cooking, you're scorching the exterior um, before you're like actually cooking the the whole interior of the coffee bean. And that obviously can impart a lot of negative, roasty, ashy, poo-poo flavors. Anything you want to add to scorching? Yeah, uh, just on that note, like you said, you want the roaster to be able to get as hot as you possibly can without that, and that's what makes, I think, the luring specifically so great is that a, a lot of times you aren't imparting a lot of flavor between zero degrees and 280 degrees Fahrenheit. And you, like, so the only flavor, negative flavor, not the only negative flavor, a lot of times the only negative flavor you could impart would be scorching or tipping. But the fact that if you can eliminate that and can get to 280 as soon as you can, that's awesome. Because then the rest of the roast, you can manipulate flavors and time and stuff. And mm-hmm. then it just makes your whole roasting process more efficient. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, our luring is it's like a convection oven where the temperature is controlled by airflow. Whereas a drum roaster, which would be a, a Diedrich roaster probat. or a probat. San Franciscan. San Franciscan, these more traditional roasters. You just have a, a rotating drum and a flame that heats that drum. And the drum is cooking the coffee. And airflow. Also has airflow. Yeah, I think a lot of newer roasters have tried to get away from the easiness of scorching by doing like double barrels too. So it's not just like flame, metal, mm. coffee, but flame, metal, metal. Like a Yeti. There, yeah, just I think, like a Yeti. I think Yeti's going to get into roasting. One note on something I've... Yetis? I've uh, no, <laughs> let's talk about Yetis. Uh, something I've noticed about coffees that lack interbean development is it's whenever you're talking about extracting them, let's just say that you are brewing them on espresso and you're trying to dial it in. It can be hard to get to a good spot. Oh, it's HE double hockey sticks, dude. Yeah, and it's it's almost like whenever you uh, whenever you are tamping a shot and you channel that shot, like, and you you you're continually channeling each each shot. So no matter what grind adjustment you make or or yield adjustment you make or temperature or anything, it's all it's all fruitless because you're you're dead in the water before you start because you're channeling the shot. So there's some coffee that's under extracted in that shot and there's some coffee that's over extracted similarly with uh, a coffee that lacks interbean development there's it's kind of a moving target of of finding a good extraction because it's you may be extracting it perfectly but the reality is the coffee just tastes bad yeah and you're getting two worlds you know the exterior you're getting roasty developed coffee and the interior you're getting sour green coffee yeah and so what you're tasting is basically uneven extraction because there's two different levels of solubility that the water is going to once you grind it all up yeah because water's hitting stuff that it can dissolve really easily and then water's hitting stuff that it needs a lot more time um just it's a mess mm. it's a right mess yeah i think that brings me to one of my big points and it's that i think roasters are subscribed to a certain look of their graphs and they can achieve that more easily in a shorter amount of time specifically that they are scared to bake the coffees uh because coffee roasters companion guide by scott rao and uh 
just a bunch of other roasting professionals prescribe a declining rate of rise or ROR, uh, which is basically the rate at which the temperature rises charted on a graph. Um, and whenever we're talking about temperature, a lot of people are reading this off of a bean probe, which is just a probe stuck into the drum in the beans. So it's not the actual temperature of the beans. It's all perceived temperature that you can chart and try to form scientific conclusions off of. Data. Yeah, data. Um, data. So whenever you bake a coffee, uh, this is a traditional belief, which in a lot of ways we do agree with as well. Um, baking a coffee means that the ROR stalls a lot of time and stays the same. And I'll show you an ROR in just a second. Uh, so it stays at the same number for too long, like 30 plus seconds, or it increases or flicks, it's sometimes called. So whenever this happens, a lot of times, talking about inner bean versus outer bean, the inner bean gets as developed as the outer bean, which is bad. You don't want that to happen. You want your inner bean, if you were, if you were tracking it with an Agtron color grader, you would want your outer bean to be darker than your inner bean. And it's really easy to think of this like bread or a cake. Like what cake is baked at the exact same level on the outside as it is the inside? Like you're forming a crust? Yeah, exactly. I mean, in a, in a way. Uh, so same thing with bread. It's like the outside might be like a little thick and crunchy. And then the inside is like moist and soft. So this is a good thing. And putting in the work to get a decreasing ROR in a long roast is a lot harder than it is a short roast because you have more time to roast over. Um, so mm-hmm. a lot of times on those longer roasts, people might be roasting too big of batches or something of those sorts as well to where like the ROR will stall out or like fall too fast and then flick back up and then their graph gets wonky and maybe they are, maybe they are under developing the coffee or maybe they just, or, or sorry, maybe they are baking the coffee or maybe they, think they are because of what a book has told them. But I would say that is a good motivation for a lot of people to not roast their coffees longer because it's in ways easier to roast a coffee shorter because there's less time to mess it up. And a flick would happen because they see that their their graph or their RR is dipping, so they might hit the gas and it'll kick back up. Yeah, I mean, it happens either that or when the coffee switches from endothermic to exothermic, which is that first crack. So, like, the coffee starts releasing gases and, like, the heat, it, it causes a spike in the temperature, and that's where the flick comes from. I see. I can remember when I would fill in on roasting and first crack would happen, and it would be, like, going up and be like, oh, no, 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 no. And then it's like... <laughs> yeah, you, you, you got to time all of that correctly. You got to, like, make the change before the bad stuff happens. Yeah. And that's a part of just experience. Yeah. On that note, um, I feel like this is a, just a quick tangent, but I mean, when I would fill in with roasting, my mindset was I am just going to make the adjustments when Cropster tells me to because yeah. we had them programmed in there. And in that sense, I was just basically a computer of just, you know, changing the temperature and the airflow 
That's back when we had a, we were using a drum roaster whenever the program tells me to. How much of roasting from your perspective is just that where like it's just auto roasting versus how much of it is more of this like, oh, you just got to have experience. You know, it's a moving target. You know, like you just never know what's going to happen. It's more of an art. The art is dialing in the coffee, I would say. If you have a really good, consistent roaster, like roasting machine, then, you know, they can set the reference curve after they dial in the roast profile. And then, like, you could step in and anyone could roast it as long as they're following the instructions in between batch protocol and all those things. So it's just about the context at which you're roasting the coffee. If it's a brand new coffee and you've never tasted it before, you know, I'm not, I don't want you to roast that coffee. Yeah. No offense. None taken. I want Sam to roast that coffee. Yeah. Uh, Or yeah. So, yeah, I think there's, there could be this misconception from the market's perspective that it's like, if you're, if you roast coffee, if you at a, at a roasting warehouse, you're like a madman. Like you're like a, a, scientist that is constantly calculating and like you're just you're an artist Mm -hmm. and there and so to your point about the art is dialing in the coffee like that does sound very difficult Mm because you just have this coffee that you sample roasted and you have an, an idea and a vision of where it's supposed to go but um i mean how how many how many variables would you say there are that you can manipulate when you're trying to dial in a coffee like let's say let's say we bring in a new washed ethiopian and we're wanting it to taste a certain way uh what what are the different variables you can manipulate you know i think about like when we're dialing in espresso i'm much more familiar with that than roasting i can manipulate dose dose yield time grind size and get what i want what are some of those main variables with roasting yeah i would say the more time you have on your hands the more you can develop these ideas develop these ideas <laughs> right uh so we get a washed ethiopian in okay so first of all we sample roast it we sample roast every coffee we get on the same sample roaster on the same profile some people have a different different philosophy on that and we are developing a way to upload a more production type curve to our sample roaster so we can do both, <clears throat> excuse me, both side by side. Um, but we get it in, we sample roast it. We see if we like it on the cupping table as a sample roast, the, the qualities of the green coffee itself. If we do, we buy the coffee, we bring it in. And then as of now, I believe Sam is roasting three. uh, I'll have to check him on this because he just changed his standard batch sizes. But I know the last few coffees, he has roasted three 10-pound batches of a new coffee. And he then, he'll roast them differently. Like one will be according to let's say like a reference of our most recent washed Ethiopian. Yeah. And then there might be another one where he roasts it shorter. I would just say in simple terms, he roasts it shorter and then the, uh, another one where he roasts it longer. Um, Hot and fast, low and slow. Yes. And, you know, 
one of them might have a longer development time. Another one might have a shorter development time. Uh, development time, is that the DTR? Yeah. Like the amount of the roast that occurs after first crack? Yeah, DTR is development time divided by total roast time. Development yeah. time is how long you're roasting after first crack. Yeah. Which is just, again, some people think these metrics mean nothing. We just use them. We use what we have, and that's what we have. So you can change your development time. You can change your total roast time. You can change your charge temperature with, like, uh, how high your ROR peaks. Like, that'll change all of those things. How fast you get to 280 versus how you then slow it down. Uh, there's a ton, and that's what makes... That's what makes getting a good cup of coffee at the end of the day challenging mm-hmm. because you have all these variables. I mean, before that, all these variables within growing coffee and processing it. Then you have all these variables within roasting coffee, and then you have all these variables within brewing coffee. So the fact that we can get anything that tastes amazing is pretty crazy. Good work, team. Mm-hmm. Or that anyone can get anything that tastes amazing. Yeah. Uh. I want to show what baked versus a good roast profile looks like. Let's do it. So here, again, okay, these coffees are very different batch sizes, so just hear me out when I say that. But, uh, Sam, I'm sorry I'm putting you on blast. I went and found one of your baked profiles, okay? (laughs) Uh, One of these is a 10-pound batch. I believe this was the first time he roasted this coffee. It definitely was. Which coffee is it? Guatemala Antigua Iglesias. Nice. So I believe this was one of his test batches when he first got it, which makes sense of why things might have gone a little whack. But what I was saying, this curve right here, start recording my screen. (laughs) This curve right here is the ROR. So the ROR measures how quickly this curve, the bean temperature or the inlet temperature, depending on which ROR you have set, but ours is on the bean temperature measures how quickly the bean temperature rises. So this is saying uh, that at its peak, the bean temperature was rising 17 degrees per 30 seconds. And then by the end, it was rising, you know, two degrees per 30 seconds. So this is the metric we use often to see if a coffee is going to get baked. And the way that we can see that this coffee was likely baked is because of this right here. You see how this stalls out and it's around like four and a half mm-hmm. ROR mm-hmm. Uh, for usually it's longer than 30 seconds. And here, I mean, it was there for a while. It was there mainly from like 7.30 all the way up until like 9.30 before it started to decline again. And then it declined or it declined quickly or crashed, which is just all a problem. So this is what a lot of people are trying to avoid, especially when they roast coffees longer, which this one wasn't roasted incredibly long. This was a 1130 total time, pretty much, I believe. Yeah. Um, call it 1130, 1120. And it, which, I mean, a lot of people roast coffees on a Loring in like nine minutes. So well, maybe longer than some people would roast it. But... Um, and it was a 19.28% DTR. So this one, probably baked. Check out this profile, which was a 30-pound batch, so a lot bigger. You can tell this is whenever he had his production roast dialed in. So look at this declining ROR. 
He got to 280 as quickly as he could, you know, big, tall ROR there real quick, charged pretty high so that he could play with the rest of the roast and decline nice and evenly. Like this right here even like isn't really that much of a problem. That's not like a big crash there or anything. Um, but yeah, he declined. And I remember tasting this exact batch and being like, that is incredible coffee. So what was the difference in the taste between that coffee and the first coffee? The baked coffee was lacking for sure. It just, it, you could, you taste it and you're just like, something is missing from this. Yeah. And I think a lot of it was aftertaste. A lot of it was sweetness. Um, which I mean, you could chop that all up to just like complexity, but uh, that's kind of what came to mind for sure. So it's more of, it's less of a flavor that is present, that is unpleasant and more about what's not there. I would say so. When yeah. You, when you have ROR's that stall and bake. Mm. Yeah. I would say that you start missing out on some things. Yeah. For sure. Um, because your inner bean is getting a little too developed. Mm -hmm. Isn't I mean, that funny that we're talking about that now, huh? Yeah, and, yeah, but I mean, people go. The reason that people underdevelop is because they are afraid of that, right? I mean, it it just makes me think of cooking a steak. You yeah. know, like whenever you get into a, a medium well kind of land, it sort of just tastes like whatever seasoning you put on it, mm. and not like a steak. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you get that nice medium rare, you know. Could cut thin at one thirty five. Yeah, you got the mired reaction on the outside. There's the mired reaction on the outside. You get the crispy, but then on the inside, it still tastes like you know that meaty flavor. Mm. Yeah, guys, we got to wrap and go to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then I would say the last point I have is that I think whenever you underdevelop a coffee and you're selling it to someone who's brewing at home it's a little more forgiving when you are brewing like, especially just like brewing pour overs at home because home, home coffee stands a lot of times really love like acidic coffees mm -hmm. and light roasted coffees. Mm -hmm. So I think, especially if you're like just getting into coffee and like starting to buy specialty coffee, these can be perceived, but like what we're talking about, like perceived sweetness, they taste that and they're like, Oh, this tastes like lemons. This is crazy. This is good. Lemons are good. Yeah, so the good parts of the underdeveloped coffee outshine the other characteristics maybe sometimes, not all the time, because palate isn't developed enough to taste qualities of coffee like the finish and the body and the, the true sweetness mm -hmm. of the coffee. Mm -hmm. It's a good word, man. That's a good word. Um this is also, you know, it's a it's a sensitive subject because you don't like you don't want to give any examples outside of ourselves, right? It's like, yeah, hey, here's an example of baked coffee. Try these people, but even in our own experience, and I appreciate your transparency and with Sam's, it's like it can just happen all the time, mm -hmm. and so no one is safe from baking their coffee or underdeveloping their coffee, but it's through constant rigor, constant assessment, constant cuppings and tastings that you can kind of like 
ride that balance in between those those two spectrums. Mm. Yeah. Just know that if you want to send us coffee for us to taste on air, we might tell you. We will tell you if it's baked. And on top of all that, if you want to send me the roast curve as well, I mean, that might be helpful if I'm tasting the coffee and then I taste something to diagnose a problem that might be there. I'm Thanks. not saying I know it all, but been around the block. Hey, yeah, I appreciate you unpacking some of this. I mean, I people have heard me say that and they're listening back because it's like something so stupid I said in this podcast, and they're like, "He hasn't been around the block." You, you're making your way around the block. Yeah, you know. Yeah, we don't know how big the block is, but we're on our way. How big the block? How big the block? Well, Ross, how's your phone? <laughs> Sorry, I'm kidding, just, dude. Uh, I'm kidding. We're business owners. A work we thing happening. Yeah. Well. Fortunately, it's time to wrap up. Hey. There you go. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, the, the subscriptions, the rates, the reviews, it all goes a long way. We appreciate it. Um, and we appreciate you, Riley, sharing about roasting, man. I, yeah, that was great. I learned some stuff. Uh, oh, stop. This isn't, my, this isn't my field every day. So uh, diving in on this kind of stuff, is, uh, it's fun for me. So, Boom. Boom. It's a boom baby moment. Boom, baby. Love you guys. Love you. Love you. Have a great week. Yeah, have a great week.